Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to the Euro Trip. Live from Turin. We finally made it. Hello and welcome to the Euro Trip from this year's Eurovision host city. I'm Rob. And I'm James. And I'm also very, very excited. Honestly, Rob, how exciting is it to be in this year's Eurovision host city? Isn't it ridiculous? We are stood at the time of speaking to you outside the Pala Olimpico, the host venue of this year's Eurovision Song Contest. It is the weekend before Eurovision, so just a week to go now pretty much until the contest and we have got plenty for you to look forward to over the next week or so because just a reminder for you everybody we're going to be here every single day between now and the grand final i was going to say when you started to say we've got a lot to come i thought you were just going to talk about today's episode but it's not just today it's tomorrow it's the day after tomorrow it's it's all of the days until saturday we're going to be speaking to all of the people that are out here covering the Eurovision Song Contest, whether they be journalists, whether they be in country delegations, maybe, whether they be the artists themselves, some commentators, everybody and anybody to do with the Eurovision Song Contest out here in Turin this week. We're going to try and get them on the podcast. Basically, if they're in Turin, they've got a target on the back. We're going to come for them. You're going to find out so much from so many different people. You know us. We love to chat to the artists. We love to chat to some of the people behind the scenes. We're going to bring you the best possible coverage that we can bring you. We're going to be here in Turin, like we say, every single day until next weekend. So let us know if you want to hear something and we'll do our best to do it. Yeah, we're going to take you around the city. We're going to show you the sights as well. This is the Euro Trip, live from Turin. Don't forget, you can get in touch with us on social media. We're at Eurotrip Podcast. So here we are then. You're going to get sick of us saying this, but we are live from Turin. It's so exciting to be here. Just to give you a bit of an idea, we're currently standing outside the Pala Olimpico. So that's where the shows are going to be taking place. So when you stick your TVs on, on Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday, it's going to be taking place inside there. So we're standing outside that right now. 
But next door to the Paralympico, Rob, there's another big venue, and maybe you can hear something going on right now. Yeah, at the time we're recording, Torino, one of the big football teams, of course, here in Turin. So the big teams here, you've got Juventus, massive giant of Italian football, and you've got Torino, their kind of little brother here in Turin, although it wouldn't sound like they're a smaller football club because <laughs> they're about to kick off their game in the Italian first division. And you can hear now, to the left of me, the Olympic Grande Stadium, the home of, of Torino. So there's a lot going on where we are right now. You've got the scarves of Torino. What do you think of their colours, by the way? That's quite a nice, what, deep maroon? I was going to say, is it more of a claret? Or uh, I don't really know. What nice, we, though. It is lovely. It's absolutely lovely. Although, I tell you what, in maybe a few days' time, do you reckon all of these merch stands are just going to be replaced with loads of Eurovision stuff? Because I think that's what the fans want to see. I just want to know what the Torino fans, who are here for the football, who are here, you know, most weekends, what they think about what's happening here at the moment. Because I can almost guarantee they've never seen anything like the setup that's here at the moment for the Eurovision Song Contest. There are... TV studios currently set up outside the arena, so that's for Rai, the host broadcaster, of course. There is a massive bridge that connects all the press centre to the arena itself and where the artists get ready in the dressing rooms. There's a helicopter flying overhead. It's, it's a centre of, of busyness at the moment. A centre of busyness. Is that, I think that's just what they call Eurovision in general, isn't it? Oh, but how exciting is it? We're very, very excited to be here to bring you the best coverage possible. Should we start and get on with things? Because we've got a lot to pack into today's episode. Later on, let me tell you this, we're going to be chatting to one of this year's artists, none other than the United Kingdom's representative, Sam Ryder. One of the favourites to win this year's Eurovision Song Contest. Can you just say that again? Because I don't think in my time of being a Eurovision fan has somebody ever said the United Kingdom and then one of the favourites to win the Eurovision Song Contest. The most infectious personality, the loveliest man, Sam Ryder and the UK on the way on the podcast a little bit later and we'll also be hearing from Sweden's commentator at this year's contest. You may know him, he's a man called Edward Afsillen and he was also the director of Eurovision 2013 and 2016 when the contest was in Sweden. But first, shall we chat to somebody from behind the scenes? Because we always know that you love it when we chat to people who are behind the scenes, know and understand the inner workings of the Eurovision Song Contest. And for that, we're going to chat to Dave Goodman, who is the communications lead for Eurovision at the EBU. This guy has been here, Rob, you'll know, he's been here for a week or so already, and he's been deep within the bowels of the Eurovision Song Contest 2022, <laughs> hasn't he? The first time that we're going to mention the phrase bowels of the Eurovision <laughs> Song Contest this week. Yeah, so Dave got here, I think, about a week ago. We'll, we'll ask him about it in a second. But yeah, I think he got here about a week ago, so he's responsible for liaising with Rai, who are the host broadcaster. Of course, the European Broadcasting Union, who are kind of the organisers of the event. We know they organise Eurovision. So yeah, safe to say, he's a very important man who knows exactly what's going on and somehow managed to find a few minutes in his very busy diary to have a chat with us. So we're outside right now, but let's head inside and chat all things Eurovision with Dave Goodman. So we've made our way inside, and as promised, we're catching up with Dave Goodman. Dave, welcome. Well, I was going to say welcome to Turin. You should be the one welcoming me and us to Turin. Tell us, how long have you been here already? I have now been here 10 days. And 
am I right in saying you managed to get a bus here? Everybody else has probably been flying here. Latvia will be very happy with you. Cities Ernie will be happy because you got the bus here somehow. Yes. Well, of course, I'm based in Geneva with the EBU. That's where our headquarters are. So it was actually the most practical and efficient way to get here. I don't have a car, so I just got on the bus and it's four and a half hours on the bus via France and the Alps. So it's a very pretty bus ride. So it's the first time I've been able to ever travel to Eurovision by bus. And yeah, first time for everything, but not your first Eurovision at all. How many is it now? How many little tally marks have you got on the wall for Eurovision Song Contest? You know, I've lost track, but I think <laughs> I'm on about 17. Right. I've been, yeah, the first one was Birmingham in 98, uh, which I went to. I only got a ticket for that a week before because they had a weird lottery system like <laughs> Wimbledon, the tennis. And so I got tickets in the post. I applied. I got them the week before, went down to Birmingham. I was living in Glasgow at the time. And then Riga I went to, and then the first one I worked at was with the BBC in Athens, and I produced some shows out there because Daz Samson was the UK act that year, and he was from Manchester, and I was working in Manchester for BBC Local Radio. And then I've been to every one since Belgrade, which was 2008, and then the first one for the EBU was 2013. Now, I bet, Dave, you've got some stories to tell. We're going to wait for the autobiography in a few years' time. You've got some stories to tell, I am sure. Tell us what it was like, though, stepping off the bus for the first time when you got to Turin this year, because people will know, or maybe not so much, actually, about just how much planning and preparation goes into hosting the Eurovision Song Contest. So what was it like to step off that bus and know that it was finally coming to life? Well, it's strange because we come to the host city a few times during the year for various events and to, to talk to the host broadcaster. So I've been to Turin a few times. But yeah, it was, it's weird because it's finally arrived. You know, you've spent months planning and talking and, you know, you've got pictures in your head of what everything's going to look like. And then you, you get here and you see the city branding and the whole city's getting ready for the event. And then you come to the arena. And uh, when I arrived, they were still putting the finishing touches to the press centre and other parts of the venue and everything was orange and then slowly over the next few days there was all the branding appeared and all the theme art you know that we can see the sound of beauty so yeah I mean it's it's amazing when you finally get to the point when you've been planning all year that you're finally on site and you know it's happening and then the press start arriving and the delegations start arriving and yeah it's uh, it's really exciting it's a really exciting moment when that when you finally realise all the work you've done for the last 12 months is finally coming to life and people are getting to experience it. It's not just talk anymore and emails <laughs> and spreadsheets, it's actually real life. And you can see people's faces for the first time as well, instead of just seeing their name in an email, which must be very nice. Yes, particularly from the host broadcaster, because we've had obviously a lot of Teams calls, you know, for the last year. And then suddenly you start to see people in the flesh, in three dimensions, <laughs> rather than just their faces for the first time. And how nice is it to be in Italy? You know, of course, back in 1956, Italy were one of the first countries to participate in the Eurovision Song Contest. So to know what a rich history a country like Italy has, it must be nice to come to a country like this. Yeah, because of course, San Remo, which we all know, is almost the, the beginnings of the Eurovision Song Contest. That You know, it, it was based on San Remo. That's what the EBU decided to, to use as its template in 56, because it had been running, I think, since 1950, San Remo. So it's almost the birthplace of Eurovision, Italy and we've not been here for 31 years uh, and Italy was absent for a, a lot of that time so to actually have Italy back and then win and then come here is fantastic and and as always with with Eurovision the, the joy of the event is that you travel and you go somewhere new every year and you have the culture of that country and we've had 
so much Italian culture in the preparation for the event, in, in the event itself, what you'll see on the television, but also with, the, with everyone we're working with at Rai. And for Rai themselves, you know, because they're, they're, they're kind of almost, in Eurovision terms, new a lot of the people now at Rye were not around in 1991 when they last hosted. So for them, it's uh, a massive new project as well and, and, and guiding them through. And that's what we do all, every year anyway with the broadcasters. But a lot of the people working on this were not there last year for Monoskin's win. So, so it's been, been nice and it's lovely to be in Italy, which is, you know, extremely cultural and, and you know, it's got its own very strong national identity. And that's, that's visible through the shows. And, with the hospitality and the people we're working with from Raya are fantastic, such lovely, kind people, you know, really wanting to help and, uh, and really collaborative. And, and, and they're loving having everybody visit, you know, the other 39 countries. So as you told us before, you know, you've been here for quite a few days now already. A lot of work's been going on. How do you reflect on what's happened so far? We're sort of at the halfway point now as we're speaking, this sort of middle weekend. We've done a lot of rehearsals. The shows are still to come. How do you reflect on what's happened so far? Or is it hard to reflect because you're still sort of so busy and, and focused on everything to come? Yeah, because you're kind of on a treadmill when you get to the host city because everything you planned is, is coming into action and there's some things that are still being organised. And uh, yeah, it feels sometimes like you've been here months and it's been, you know, but at the same time, it's really exciting because, you know, you know the schedule, you know the rehearsal schedule and, and now everybody has rehearsed twice. Uh, we're getting ready for the dress rehearsals with all the shows and so looking back you know it's been it's been a very busy week but it's i think it's been you know a very you know successful week in, in many ways and obviously there's you know that's what the rehearsals are for that to, that to, to change the songs and we're obviously working with the delegations on on the, on their staging and the camera shots and and from a press point of view this year of course we we had a first rehearsals that were behind closed doors and and that gave everyone here a lot of time i think to to, to work in private which is really important for the delegations and, and from us as well to prepare everything for when we have the on-site press arrive on wednesday and uh, and the online press center obviously has been been running uh, for for a week so so yeah, the first week, you know, from from our side, you know, it's been uh, been successful, and 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 we're getting a lot of buzz online. We've done a lot of digital things differently this year, of course, with first rehearsal clips on TikTok this year, and they've had. I don't even remember the last time I checked, over 13 million views, you know, so it's been a real success for us. We've got a fantastic social and digital team here doing amazing work, fantastic photography, some really fun stuff coming up in the next week that we've been shooting with all the delegations this week because they come to us after each of their first rehearsals. We have time with them to make content and that's the sort of content that you'll see in the, in the week, uh, the event week coming up. Yeah, I think that's what a lot of people are going to agree with. Just the amount of content that we've seen and the amount of times Eurovision's hit the headlines. And we haven't even seen live shows yet. But speaking about the live shows, we've got those to look forward to in, over the next seven days or so. What's your role going to look like? What are you going to be doing over the next seven days until the grand final? Well, I have many roles. Obviously, I'm managing our digital team here with some really great people. We've got such a strong team with so much talent, so many skills. So I'm looking after them, making sure they're OK. They know what they're doing. We've obviously got the opening ceremony coming up. That's a big press event for us. Uh, and then during the event weeks itself, really, it's a case of uh, watching the dress rehearsals and uh, um, you know dealing with anything that possibly comes up because we're doing you know extremely complicated technical live shows. And, and obviously, 
things can happen, things can happen behind the scenes. And, and my role really in the next week is to make sure the press are happy, make sure the press can uh, get access, uh, you know, help spread the word of Eurovision amongst the media who are here and those who are coming next week, the mainstream media. There's so much interest this year. We've got people coming from, you know, over 50, 60 countries to, to cover Eurovision. So it's to, my role with my comms team, my communications team, is to, to help the press get the, get the access, uh, get, get the, the message out there, promote the event. And also on the nights of the shows and the, in the jury finals and the, and the live shows, I'm, I'm sat really uh, backstage in, in the viewing room, which is the artists use to, to check their performances during the rehearsal weeks. And then it becomes basically our, our um, communication centre. And uh, we, we sit with security, with the producers, and, and should, and fingers crossed, nothing will. Should anything happen during the shows, my role is really to, to, to communicate anything that's happening to deal with any issues that might arise during those shows. Oh, I'm out of breath just listening to everything you're doing. One final one for me. Are you actually getting enough sleep? You know, this year I am. We've, we've been really good. We, you know, we've, we've been able to, you know, we've got long, long days at Eurovision. But, you know, you have to come prepared for that. And, and, it's, and it's, it, 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 is, it is stressful and it can be tense. And, of course, everyone, you know, we're working in a very strong team. Of course, you know, people, people are, 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 you know, under a lot of pressure because we all want to produce amazing content and we all want to make sure that this event gets the maximum amount of publicity. That's what we look after. But I am sleeping okay, actually. I'm managing to get to bed pretty much the same time every night. Um, so I'm doing all right so far, yeah. So I'm, 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 I'm in a good place. What a relief, what a relief, because that was my main question. I was like, is he going to get enough sleep because he's going to be a busy man? But thanks so much for joining us and I wish you, the, you and the rest of the team, obviously, all the best for the next seven days. Thank you, thank you. Grazie mille, and have a fantastic time here in Torino. This is the Euro Trip. When you aren't listening, you can find us on social media. We're at Eurotrip Podcast, warming you up for the Eurovision Song Contest. So a huge thank you to Dave Goodman, communications lead at the European Broadcasting Union, for chatting to us all about the organisation for this year's Eurovision Song Contest, and also his long history with the Eurovision Song Contest. We're going to talk to somebody in a second who has an equally impressive history with the world's biggest music competition. But first, James, we have now, as I'm sure you can hear, ventured out of the confines of the press centre. Yeah, you can probably tell by the busy, bustling, Turin streets you can hear in the background. Although one thing you probably can't tell is that it's absolutely chucking it down. The weather has taken a turn for the worst. It was glorious before when we introduced the podcast. We were standing outside of the Pala Olimpico. But now, Rob, it's, uh, it's taken a turn for the worse. Yes, it's, uh, it's quite <laughs> drizzly. And that's uh, putting it mildly, I think. Although I think the sun is hopefully going to come out because uh, I think we've got plans to, to head down to the Eurovision Village later on. So that should be a very nice way to spend the evening. We're just walking past some of these lovely little Italian shops. The Italian kind of apartments and stuff like that, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. They're very photogenic. You don't really get apartments like this anywhere else. And ours is lovely as well, isn't it? We checked in a few hours ago and oh, ours is just like picture perfect, isn't it? I'm sure you'll get a chance to see it, by the way, everyone, because we have got plans. We'll do maybe some Instagram lives over on our Instagram channel and... We'll also hop on Twitter spaces and that sort of thing. So look out for all that bonus content for our, from us. But yeah, there's a, there's a little serving hatch. I'm in a little single bed, so looking forward to that. <laughs> but me and James will never be sleeping too far apart because uh, there's a lovely little window 
between me and you in, in the apartment itself. Yeah, the less said about that, the better. But shall we give you a little bit of a tease about why we're actually outside? Because we're on our way to chat to somebody very, very special. Yeah, Sam Ryder on the way. So we're currently on our way to the hotel, currently housing the UK delegation here in Turin. Very excited to have Sam on the podcast, of course. So much buzz. I can't even express to you how much buzz there is around the UK act here in Turin, in the arena, when you're walking around, people are talking about him and his song and they're saying, you know, oh, are you from the UK? Do you think the UK is going to win this year? So there is a huge buzz around him and his song. But before we hear from Sam, we're going to hear a chat that I had not too long ago with somebody else with a very, very impressive history with Eurovision. So I'm here with a man who has a very long history with the Eurovision Song Contest. It is safe to say Hello, Edward Afsillan. Oh, hello there. Edward, can you please tell our listeners how, in many, many ways, you are connected, intertwined with this thing we call Eurovision? Well, I mean, growing up, Eurovision was my happy place. So, so I mean, my first Eurovision live was in Stockholm and then Copenhagen in 2001 as a fan. But, I mean, since working with the Melody Festival, and I wrote the script for Eurovision in 2010 in Norway. And then I wrote and directed in 13 and 16 for Petra Mede and Petra and Mons. So that's my history with Eurovision. So you are the man responsible for Love, Love, Peace, Peace. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, I wrote that. That was, that was the most fun to write. What was it like working with, with Petra and Mons on that production? Because obviously you have these ideas in your head and then you have to communicate them with you know, the rest of the production team and then Petra and Mons. Can you remember kind of going to them for the first time and saying, I've got this idea, it's going to be the history of Eurovision in dance and song. You know, what did they say to you? Well, I mean, they're both awful people. <laughs> so mean-spirited. No, they're the nicest people in the world and we're friends from so long ago, both me, Petra Mons, I count them as family, to be honest. So this, the second it was decided we could do it together, I took them to my apartment, we cooked food, Mons brought wine because he knows wine, Petra brought nothing as, as usual, and we ate and we drank wine and we watched Eurovision clips. And we watched the clips we loved, we watched clips we didn't love, and we just together sort of... Uh, pinpointed what we wanted to do and what we wanted the, the, the atmosphere and the tonality to be. It was just a wonderful night. And from that on, we just, we just had fun together. And I, I, I think that the story of Eurovision, they were on board from the, from the second, because I just said, let's do an Oscar opening, because that was it. It was an Academy Award opening, but in a, in a Eurovision semifinal. That was my pitch. And it's odd, because we'd had, what, 60-something years of Eurovision, and no one had ever done a show number about the Eurovision. So to me, it just felt like such, an, such an, a perfect way to go. There were so many iconic Eurovision artists from the past, of course, who, who were also in, in that whole production. I think Alexander Ryback was part of it as well. Lordi was part of it as well. You know, we saw the hamster wheel. <laughs> How was it securing those names and getting them involved? And were you part, part of kind of selling the idea to them? Yes. Um, I, I, it seems like it's very easy to get them to come because what they do on stage is, is fine, but it's also just, I think, coming back to the contest, meeting the fans, seeing people, artists that you might know. It's about coming back to a kind of home. So I think they all said yes right away, and they said, fun idea, but just to come to Stockholm and be the Eurovision is something that we wanted. So Lordi, uh, uh, Ryback, all of them said yes kind of quickly. 
Edward, you're here now in your role as the commentator for Swedish television. Yeah. You're here for the, the full two weeks, pretty much. Yes. So, so what are you doing at the moment in your role as, as commentator? Are you kind of picking up kind of information about all the, the artists and just kind of checking out the arena? What are you up to? Yeah, that's exactly it. I just think the best way to, to, to be a, a, as good a commentator as you can is just to get as much information as possible. Because the more information I've ha I have, the less nervous I am when the broadcast start and you're live. So I'm just here listening, um, chatting to people, trying to get as much information about everything or gossip, to be honest. And then I sit and follow the rehearsals and I write my script. I have a wonderful singer called Linnea Henriksson, who's going to join me in the booth uh, this year, who um, hosted the Melody Festival a few years ago and is a dear friend. And she's really excited. So she's arriving in two days from now. So I'm just writing, writing scripts until she comes. When you're in the booth, What's it like? Describe the booth. I know you've done you know, many, many Eurovision Song Contests in the role as the Swedish commentator. Do the booths vary? Um, yes. Some years it's freezing. Some years I literally sat in shorts with no top on because it was so... This is an Azerbaijan. I, th I thought we were going to burn up. Um, I think the scariest part was in Copenhagen because they'd built that big arena in Copenhagen a few years ago. So they'd just built these booths on top of just stair levels and they were just built for this moment. So when the audience came in and the energy came up and people started clapping and jumping, our booths just sort of swayed sort of forward and backwards. And when you're sitting in front of a big glass screen and you're swaying forwards, <laughs> it was honestly a near-death I mean, near experience. So, I mean, yeah, it's always, you never know what it's going to be, but the energy when the live broadcast happens, when you're in the booth and you're, you have all this audience in front of you, uh, and the energy hits you. Uh, it's just, it's the best. I love commentating. Do you have snacks? Do you have drinks? This is important because you're in there for a long time. Yes, we do have snacks. Can you tell us what you've got? Absolutely. Well, I mean, non-crunchy non snacks. Is that a word? Non-crunchy? Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, that works. It is now. Uh, so usually I have uh, like gummy bears, stuff like that, like sweets, yeah. gummy bear sweets. <laughs> What's it like commentating for Sweden? Of course, you know, you are a Swede. Yeah. You've directed the contest when it was in Sweden. Sweden, a huge Eurovision powerhouse who arguably love the contest more than any other nation. So yeah. does that add pressure for you? Yes, the first time I was going to do it. I mean, growing up watching the Eurovision religiously, to be honest with you, I mean, to be able to commentate was always a dream that I knew would never, ever happen to me. I mean, it was just, how could that happen? To write and to work with what I love, I always kind of hoped that would happen. But to commentate Eurovision was like a holy grail to me. So the fact that I got to do it is honestly one of the biggest sort of gifts in my life because that's how much I love Eurovision. And to commentate it is, is just such a beautiful thing to me. This sounds, maybe I sound too sort of holy, but it, I, I love it so much. And to commentate for Sweden is, is a joy because the audience takes it so seriously, um, which is fun. And also there's a lot of comedy in Sweden. I mean, we like taking the mick out of things. So I feel I can do it with comedy like I want, but I, I'm clear to the viewers that I love this show more than anyone else and I'm going to make you love it as well. And of course, you've done many Eurovisions. You've got a special insight into the contest. Have you been able to give any of that to Cornelia, Sweden's representative this year? Yes, yes. We've had some wonderful conversations these evenings over pasta and red wine. Uh, I mean, honestly, she is the nicest person. And um, I've just sort of told her what to expect when it comes to energy and audience and love. 
when it comes to sort of being an artist, that she has that all. I mean, she is so ready for this. And what I love with her is that she has such a clear identity as an artist. I mean, there's Loreen to me in her in that sense that it's just such a clear identity. And so she owns these three minutes. It's just a joy to watch her rehearse. Edward, thank you so much. I know you've got lots to do, preparing, of course, for the live shows, and it's been great to chat. Yeah, I'm going to go watch Romania now. Don't forget, you can get in touch with us on social media. We're at Eurotrip Podcast. Well, I think you'll agree, he sounds like a great deal of fun. Although, actually, I say it sounds like, we know he is. We've gone through his CV there, or at least you did there, Rob, chatting to him. And he is responsible for arguably one of the fan favourite Eurovision Song Contest of, of all time, of course, 2016. So big thanks to Edward for stopping by and chatting to you, Rob, the other day. Yeah, lovely, lovely man and everything you would possibly want from a country's Eurovision commentator. Impressive that they invest so much time into coming here, to finding out all about the acts and finding out about the shows and watching all the rehearsals. So they're fully prepared for, of course, what they're going to do with their broadcast in their home country. We mentioned it during the interview, SVT in Sweden, they're going to expect huge audiences for the Eurovision Song Contest. And who knows, we of course were in Stockholm for Melody Festival in this year. We saw Cornelia take home the crown, we spoke to her after the final. Who knows, in a few days' time, maybe we'll be speaking to her again after she wins Eurovision. Oh, who knows? There's going to be a lot of people who agree with you, saying, yes, I'm sure she will. But then also, there's going to be a lot of people saying, it's not going to be Cornelia's year, it's going to be Ukraine's year, it's going to be perhaps the United Kingdom's year. And maybe that is a good place to segue into our next guest on today's episode. Absolutely. The sun, though, should say, has just come out. We're here the middle weekend of... Eurovision fortnight, we're walking past these lovely little Italian bars and people are having glasses of wine like they like to over here. I say like they like to over here. I think everybody likes a wine every now and again when the sun comes out. But yeah, you're right. We are very close now to Sam Ryder and the UK. Yeah, I already know this is going to be such a great conversation because we've seen Sam do so much press across the continent. We've seen him on social media, and he's such an amazing ambassador for the Eurovision Song Contest. I think every delegation this year is probably looking at Sam saying, I want that sort of attitude in every artist we ever send to Eurovision in the future, because he's just got the right attitude for it. He really loves to be a part of the Eurovision Song Contest. So shall we go inside, dry ourselves off, and catch up with the spaceman himself, Mr. Sam Ryder. So we've made it inside from the ridiculous weather that Turin's decided to give us because it was lovely earlier on. It's now chucking it down. <laughs> Sam Ryder, how has Turin been treating you so far since you arrived? Oh, fantastic. I'm, um, I'm stoked that we got that bit of sunshine. I think like, I'm probably the most pale person along with Steve <laughs> Holden here. So like, we both stood outside by the bins slash toilets earlier chatting and both of us were tanning in front of each other's eyes. For t- in, in that space of 10 minutes. So I, I pretty much like topped up my entire like, summer tan right now. I'm good. <laughs> Do you know what? Everyone thought Eurovision was a glamorous life and you're talking about standing behind the bins and the toilets outside. Is it not as glamorous as people think? No, no, it is. It is. I have no idea why we picked that spot to catch up and chat. Like, I, I guess all the glamorous spots were full. <laughs> Let's talk about everything for Eurovision this year. Because if I say these words to you, Sam Ryder's representing the UK at Eurovision this year, how does it sound? I'm so fiercely grateful that that has happened. Myself and the team get to have that as kind of like, um, I don't know, like stamped in time. Like we did it and we're part of it 
regardless of what happens. That is something that's, um, that's incredible. So stoked. And nothing welcomes you in like Eurovision. Like the fan base are so passionate. They kind of like, you're, you're part now of the Eurovision family. And yeah, that's something I'll be so incredibly chuffed with until uh, my last day. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's so cool. Tell us about the, the sort of teamwork aspect of it, because you mentioned it there about, you know, talking about how much the team is around, around you, because a lot of people might look and think it's just one guy on the stage. Tell us about how important it is to have this really tight knit team around you, support you all the way. Yeah. Well, first of all, there needs to be a Netflix series like Drive to Survive for Eurovision, <laughs> because like this is a team sport. It's, it's, it's so cool. Like everyone being involved firing on all cylinders do you know everyone's stoked that you're moving around as like one entity and um yeah i've got such a lovely positive energy around me because and thanks to my team and um yeah i feel incredibly blessed actually you've done a couple of rehearsals already during the last few days tell us about what that moment is like you know you've seen pictures of the stage beforehand you know you've seen these images online What's it actually like, though, to step onto that stage, you see the stage that they've built for you especially, and then you see all these lights coming down, the postcard plays beforehand, mm-hmm. and you're about to do that first rehearsal. What are those emotions like for you? Um, I think it's, it's odd. First of all, you have an incredible respect for the, the, uh, the crew behind like, the stage techs and stage managers because you walk past all of the, the staging it's in a big warehouse, essentially. And you're like, how are they doing this that quickly and perfectly and everything? The organization of Eurovision is incredible. And so, yeah, you, you get a massive sort of respect for those guys and women and everyone involved in that sort of like side of this behind the scenes. Also, it's cool because you're standing on stage amidst the work of your team. So although you're singing there kind of on your own in the middle of that stage, you feel like your team are there because I'm literally looking at a structure that wouldn't have existed had it not been for teamwork. And um, that's really cool because you kind of, you see it in your peripheral vision and you're like, I'm not on my own. Like, um, like this is our effort. This is our work that we're putting forward. And that, yeah, that's really beautiful. One big part of your team, of course, is Lee Smithers. We spoke to him on the podcast a few weeks ago and he was telling us about this whole journey you've been on and we were talking about the staging and the set design for your performance. Mm-hmm. And he said some of it came from, came from you. You know, you yeah. came with these ideas. How important was it for you to be able to put that creative stamp on what you would do on stage? Uh, I think this really is like um, a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and um, like to be involved in Eurovision, obviously for some artists, they get to do it a couple of times, but for most of us, it is really like a once in a lifetime thing. And you can go bombastic at Eurovision. There's, there's some things you can do here that like, if you get the opportunity, absolutely take it to the bank. Do you know what I mean? So like, <laughs> I was, I'm a massive sci-fi nerd. So I wanted to create something with the team, like kind of Ridley Scott-esque and, um, like also let's not be like beat around the bush you got the there's cash involved here like you've got a bit of a budget which is amazing <laughs> so so you get to kind of express yourself in that way and um yeah it's not every day that you get that opportunity and that's yeah that's cool being involved with people on the team that are so talented and so experienced in that world of staging and how to actually bring ideas to life it was a team effort again so when i'm saying i'm standing on that stage and i'm seeing the team there with me i mean it 
the press got a first lock this weekend, didn't they, about what that performance is going to look like on the big night. And there's been some changes, hasn't there, since we heard the song for the first time. Give us an idea, try and explain to us what changes you've made to the song and the performance. Because especially for me as well, because like our listeners... Well, not like our listeners, but I was on a plane, so I've not seen your performance. So I try. So you so, oh, come on, you've got to. Well, look, when, <laughs> when does this go out? When, when, when are people going to be hearing this? They're going to hear this on Sunday, so six days before your performance. Well, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> You're going to, if you, there are, there are little teasers and Easter eggs out there on the internet, and if you want to, that's totally fine. If you want to open your Christmas presents early, I can't stop you. But uh, what I love about Eurovision is trying to keep the cat in the bag as long as possible. Like, because it, it, there's something beautiful about being shocked or like the tension of, oh, I have no idea how this is going to go. Like that nervousness when you're watching as a fan. So yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna help you <laughs> <laughs> on this occasion. I'm so sorry. Well, I tried at least. I did try. I did try. Now tell us about your attitude towards Eurovision because I think a lot of people in the UK, especially, find it so so refreshing. Because you look at what the media coverage of Eurovision has been like, especially over the last 20, 30 years or so, and a lot of it has been quite negative. You've put a really positive spin on it this year. Was that really important for you to try and? change people's perspectives oh, thank you so much for um, like for saying that really kind of you and it, like I said everything it, this is a real team effort and um, you can't do that without having a loving kind positive energetic team with you you know it's just impossible but for me being involved in saying yes to the opportunity of representing the UK at Eurovision which is still so cool to say um it's never about like having an expectation of where we might end up on the scoreboard, low or high. It has I can't express how little relevance that has to me, and I mean it from the bottom of my heart. I swear to God, this is about remembering that intention with which I was singing over lockdown and being in the corner of that room, singing to no one in front of a little green lamp and singing for the joy of it, never having any expectation of where it might take me. And where it took me was beyond any expectation I could have had anyway. So I wanna make sure that I go into this process with no expectation. And to just come back to singing in a room, because that's all it is, it's just a bigger room. And more importantly, it's about what we do with the platform that we're blessed to have in the lead up to Eurovision. How do we hold ourselves? What message do we put out? Because I know there are so many passionate fans of Eurovision in the UK. And I want to make sure that myself and the team do the best possible job we can for those fans. We have a responsibility and they deserve it. Also, the most important objective is to try and tackle that negative stigma that exists. And it's not because people are malicious or they're um, like sticks in the mud at all. All this is, is a result of looping a negative thought pattern in your head and to yourself until it becomes part and fabric of small talk. The people that feel like, I guess, hurt by Eurovision and negative about it, I truly believe they get together with the people that they love most in the world on Saturday night and sit in front of the TV and eat some good food and enjoy their time together, they will relish the bonkersness and bask in its bombastic, like, glow. Do you know what I mean? And that is the objective and that is the prize, that is the goal.
That is so, so very well said. Honestly, I could listen to you talk about that aspect of it for so, so much longer. And I think it's quite nice to see that, you know, that's what you're focusing on. Mm-hmm. You know, am I right in saying that, you know, you're not actually focusing on a specific result? You're not that, thinking right now, I'd love a top 10 or I'd love a top five, nothing like that. To, to do that, that takes the magic immediately and the wind out of the sails of what it is that we're trying to do. I couldn't care less where we come because that means I put myself and the team's worth into where we where we come which is out of our control I already know I'm living and breathing this moment with the team I can see that there is nothing else we could have done we are doing everything there is not a day off that we've had so whatever happens happens we still did everything that we could and um we don't need the scoreboard to give us validation even if it means we're like we're high up in the scoreboard still doesn't matter that wasn't the reason that we're validated we're validated already by loving every minute of this respecting it and embracing the opportunity with open arms well i know you're not focusing on a result but i know so (laughs) so many uk eurasian fans really really are so on behalf of them i want to take this opportunity to wish you the very best of luck no matter what comes next weekend Best of luck and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much. I really appreciate chatting to you guys and like giving me the time. I know you're busy and there's a lot of people to chat to. So big up. Here we go. This is, this is the Euro Trip. Euro Trip. And that, everybody, is the UK's representative for Eurovision 2022 and possibly the loveliest man we've ever had on the podcast. And we've had a lot of lovely men on the podcast <laughs> and lovely women, but Sam Rod is right up there. I said it before we chatted, didn't I? I said, I already have a feeling that this is going to be such a fun chat, just because of his positivity. I wasn't wrong, was I? You were not. He is a man in demand as well. So thank you to everybody involved in getting us that interview and us being able to bring you that chat here on the podcast. And what a way, by the way, to kick off our Live from Turin episodes with the UK Sam Rider. Yeah, you think that's it from us? Not a chance. We've still got six more episodes to bring you this week as we're going to be rounding up everything that's happening in Turin, taking you through all of the live shows all the way through until the big grand final preview next Saturday. Yeah, we've just got back to the apartment. So there's the keys. Do you want to let us in? Thank you, sir. Let me... uh... We struggled earlier on, so hopefully we can do this. First time. First time. Look at that. So in we go. And we've got a very exciting episode for you tomorrow. Because, as you may well know, of course, as is Eurovision tradition, we've got the opening ceremony on the way. Yeah, the yeah the red carpet, as most would say, not in Eurovision world. They've gone out with red and come in with turquoise instead. So it's the turquoise carpet event for us, and we'll be bringing you all of our coverage from that on our next episode. But for now, me and James are off to the Eurovision Village. That's how we're going to spend our evening. So hopefully you have a good one as well, as we traverse what feels like 18 staircases to get <laughs> back to the apartment but don't forget we're at Eurotrip Podcast on Twitter and Instagram we're also online for all of our exclusive stories eurotrippodcast.com as James nearly slips down the stairs <laughs> and there's one more email us yes hello at eurotrippodcast.com so please don't hesitate to get in touch with us we love it when you get in touch we read all of your messages so get in touch if you've got any thoughts about Eurovision or any of our coverage this week and if you like what you've heard you know what to do make sure you subscribe leave us a review and rate us five stars from me James for the first time this week it's goodbye and from me Rob it's goodbye Honestly, we should probably learn Italian by, by tomorrow. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.